Hey, what's going on, guys? Happy Valentine's Day. How's it going? I'm Tyler, and this is my boy, Austin. What's up, guys? How's it going? What's up, Brate? Happy hey, Valentine's Austin. Day and happy Singles Day for all of you that are singles. So, Austin, uh, what are we discussing today, man? Today, we're going to discuss the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And this may seem depressing to many of you at first to cover on Valentine's Day. However, I would argue it's appropriate because... It is my hope that love will prevail in this conflict and two brothers will quit fighting and one brother will quit oppressing the other brother <laughs> and love will prevail like it does on Valentine's Day or so they say. Honestly, uh, what better way to uh, to get you in the mood for Valentine's Day than to talk about war crimes and cluster bombs. But uh, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, all right, guys, ho hopefully you guys aren't too offended by this one. So, uh, Austin. Do you want to just run through real fast? I mean, pretty much everybody here that hasn't been living under a rock has heard of the uh, <coughs> uh, special military <coughs> war in uh, Ukraine. But um, yeah, if you just want to run through a quick history on why that's happening, what like what caused it, and maybe some deeper ideological things that are kind of behind this. Yeah. So we've all seen the pictures. We've all seen the videos. This war has been terribly damaging to Ukraine. It's destroyed cities. The capital city has had apartment buildings bombed. You have seen mothers torn from their children, mm -hmm. uh, husbands dying in front of their wives, wives raped by Russian soldiers in front of their husbands. It's been absolutely horrible. And, you know, on a personal level, I can say that my ex-girlfriend, she is from eastern Ukraine, her whole family's village has been destroyed by Russians, right. leveled to the ground. They cannot go home. They're having to live in Kiev. So it is just, we all know the horror of this war. And, you know, when you look into things, it just is so sad because historically speaking, Russians and Ukrainians were seen as brotherly nations. Now, this may get a little bit controversial to some, but that was a historic designation. However, while they've been seen as brotherly nations, I would argue that it's been a relationship of one big brother bullying the little brother time and time again. Big brother, big bro, Russia, little bro, Ukraine. I, I want to chime in there and uh, just just insert a casual fuck Russia. But um, <laughs> anyways, see, a lot of people have, have said, I, I've seen it a lot. People are saying, oh, it's two brothers and whatnot. The way I perceive this, though, is um, I kind of see it almost as like a toxic marriage, like, you know, you know, you know, you have like a super abusive, like, like, you know, for instance, like a husband or whatnot. And then, like, the, the wife is just getting abused. And it's like, it's like, oh, no, everything's fine. And behind closed doors, it's just like, you know, Russia's beating the shit out of Ukraine, which is, you know. But but now, now they're taking a stand on it. And I, I love to see it. It's, it's like whenever whenever they try to actually have their own way and they try to make their own decisions, Russia tries to hop in and abuse them. And it's like, that's not, that's not going to work anymore, man. Yeah, it's been a very toxic relationship, particularly in the past 100 or 200 years. That yeah. said, Russians and Ukrainians do share a common origin in the Kievan Rus state, which is actually founded mainly on Ukrainian, modern Ukrainian territory. Right. The capital of the state was Kiev. However, over time, cities were also established by Slavs, because at this time, there were no Ukrainians, there were no Russians. They were all just Slavs. Slavs established cities in modern-day Russian territory, such as Moscow and Yaroslav and others over there, and then the Mongols invaded. <laughs> and the Mongols invaded, 
and destroyed Kiev. So it kind of drove a big wedge in between the Slavs. There were the Russians living up there in the forest, and there were the Ukrainians living more in the farmland and the steppelands. <laughs> and you know. the Ukrainians were mostly under complete Mongol rule, but some in the West came under the rule of Poles and later the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Um, yeah. So this, over time, evolved a situation where Ukrainians are sort of intermediaries between Poles and other Central European Slavs and modern-day Russians. So it's kind of like a spectrum. You go to Lviv in the western part of the country, the people feel much closer to Poland. You go south to Transcarpathia, the people feel closer to Slovaks and Czechs. But if you go east to where my ex-girlfriend was from, they used to feel more close to Russians. But now that's been kind of messed up because of this abusive relationship and war. So it's a really tricky situation. Like it's where it's a situation where like legit two very similar nations are fighting because one nation is abusing the other. Right. Yeah. See, kind of the root problem of it all, Russia just wants to take control. They want to just enforce everything on Ukraine. Uh, like you were mentioning earlier, Ukraine was kind of the intermediary. It was kind of stuck right there in between, you know, historically powers. You had uh, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth and you had eventually the Russian Empire. Eventually, you know, they, they were both doing all sorts of things. Um, I have my own opinions on, on that whole situation. We can get into that in a different video about Polish-Lithuania and its effects, you know, on, on Ukraine. Um, but like you said, it was just kind of stuck in the middle. It ended up kind of being stuck under Russia probably for a lot longer than it was under Poland. And during that time, it has faced some horrific things. People nowadays are just like looking at Ukraine. And a lot of times folks have not even heard of Ukraine prior to a year ago when Russia invaded. It was just like, oh, where the hell is Ukraine? I don't know. It's somewhere. Uh, you know, it, it, that's just how it was. But but now this whole conflict's bringing it to light. And you're starting to see more and more people really kind of delve back into the history of Ukraine. And people are starting to kind of bring it up and raise awareness that this isn't just an isolated instance. Russia has like abused the fuck out of Ukraine for absolute centuries. And like the, the few times that, that Ukraine has been able to persist and kind of exist on its own, you know, the, the small gaps that it's had where it wasn't stuck under somebody else, it was kind of having to wonder, when am I going to be stuck under somebody else again? Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the main instances where Ukraine was independent was the Cossack Hetmanate. Hetmanate, if I'm saying that right. I'm sorry if I'm butchering the word. But it was an independent Cossack state. And see, that's a good example right there of like how Russians and Ukrainians are intertwined. And a lot of that intertwinement is Russians borrowing Ukrainian culture because Cossacks were originally Ukrainian mainly. There were some Russians, but they were mainly Ukrainian. But now most Americans and people in the West associate Cossacks with Russians. Well, that they are by origin they were mostly ukrainians yeah. some russians joined too it's kind of it gets muddy it gets complex they're kind of mixed together but you know like it's a situation where like a lot of things you associate with russia may have their origins in ukraine um and ukraine has always found itself sandwiched between like R mother russia and uh central european slavs who are oriented towards the west so it's sort of like in the midst of like this identity battle. Like, do they have to decide if they want to be more Western or more Eastern? 
Right. I think they decide they want to be Western, and yeah. Russia is not happy. I yeah, I, I think that that's that's pretty valid. That um, they've definitely decided they want to be more Western, and I think that's probably why this conflict's going on. Um, you know, of course, it escalated into a full-on war. Uh, you know, just over a year ago, or wait, actually, I think at the time of this, isn't it? So if next week, I believe, is actually the the one year anniversary, is it not? I think next week, yeah. <laughs> <It's more laughs> I'm I'm pretty pretty certain that, that, that that's the one year. Uh, but you know, just over a year ago, it really escalated into this major war, which we've already seen. You know, over over a hundred thousand, I think, could be upwards of around two hundred thousand casualties of on, on the military side and more with the civilians included on this. Um, but it's 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 just it's just one of one of those things that it's been it's been going on for a while. I think what 2014 if is when the uh, the border conflict happened. Uh, and then also there was the whole divisions. That's really when they started to look more west. That's really when this whole thing kind of got a little bit wild, where the whole conflict really kicked off. And now here we are because they really tried to go even further and they tried to cement themselves in the west rather than just kind of inching towards it. Russia is one of those countries that just kind of says, "Oh, you're not doing what we want. We're going to harass you." But then, "Oh, you're really not doing what we want. Oh, that's not going to fly. Now, now you're going to get taken out." Yes, over the past 20 or 30 years, we've seen a continuous battle of East and West being fought in Ukraine. There were times when they leaned more towards Russia and the East, and there were other times they leaned more towards the West. And now we've seen the Western element has prevailed. This ideological struggle is not unique to Ukraine. It's really being fought in just about every former Soviet nation. Um, and it's a battle of East versus West, mm -hmm. democracy versus dictatorship, and also, I would argue, westernization versus Russianization. <laughs> and that last one is where things get very tricky, because yeah. Russianization is kind of seen... Russianization means the Russification of culture, and a lot of times this was accomplished through the vehicle of so-called Slavic solidarity. Now, if you listen to this podcast, I think Slavic solidarity is a very good thing. However, I am not down for a Slavic solidarity that entails Mother Russia being an empress and dominating other Slavs. I'm down for a Slavic solidarity that is equal and also inclusive to other similar nations like Romanians, um, Hungarians, amongst others. So... Right, right. It, it gets very tricky, and this last one is where things, you start to see cleavages in societies across Eastern Europe. You see, in many cases, pro-Western, mostly liberal elements fighting against more conservative elements that in some countries are just conservative, but in others, like Slovakia, or more pro-Russian. So it gets complex, um, and... This is something that will continue to evolve. But that said, Ukraine has decided it wants out of Russia's grasp and it wants to lean more towards their brothers to the West and also um, international institutions like the EU, for better or worse, <laughs> and NATO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's definitely safe to say that uh, they are leaning towards the West. And for a lot of these nations that are... Uh, kind of struggling with the same thing of, uh, of falling either under the West or falling under Russia. 
it's really just picking lesser two evils, which I'm not going to lie. Cut and dry, that's that's the West. It's it's not fun to be underneath Russia. Russia is the, for lack of better words, the biggest hemorrhoid of Europe currently. It just kind of refuses to die, and it's always there being a royal pain in the ass, literally. <laughs> yeah, like you said, fuck Russia. <laughs> but when Ukrainians join the EU, they're going to have a whole set of new problems that we Czechs and Poles and Slovaks have been dealing with for the past 20 or past 20 years. And they're, they may not be as bad as having an abusive neighbor, <laughs> but they're, they're no fun. Absolutely not. Um, all right. So I guess seeing that this is a pretty big, you know, podcast on just the, the Russo-Ukrainian war or the uh, special military operation is, you know, they're going to put it. So, I'm going to ask you straight up, because I, I want to comment a lot on this, um, but I, I do want to say that this is not like an analyzation video. I'm not going to go down and dirty and sit here for hours on end talking about every minute detail that's, that's occurred on the front. If you guys really wanted something like that, either I could direct you to other channels I know of, or I could look more into it, but that'd be an extremely long thing. But anyways, Austin, do you have anything that you've observed during this, during, during the year of combat? During this year of combat, I've observed that my personal opinion is this really is a war of ideologies in which Ukrainians are the victims mm -hmm. and they are treated very brutally and their country is being destroyed by, by Ru very malicious Russians. Right. Yeah, there's, um, there's definitely a lot going on. Uh, see, it's it's kind of a rough one. Both sides technically have committed some pretty horrible acts on each other. But for, for this, it's pretty easy to say that the Russians have committed more acts. I mean, hell, they're the ones that are invading. So <laughs> you, you can only commit so many war crimes and crimes against humanity against people that are invading you, at least in my book. Uh, Definitely. Like, and I just to add to that, like, I'm not... I'm not saying that the West is bad. Russia has been awful. They've committed just about all of the war crimes. It, actually, they have they have committed every single war crime in Ukraine, hands down. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you want to go deeper and look at this in a broader perspective, you can argue NATO and the West may have committed some war crimes in the Balkans, which was during the Yugoslav Wars, kind of like a struggle of East and West. But in Ukraine, hands down, all the war crimes have been committed by the Russians. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know that there have been some issues with uh, some of the Ukrainian soldiers treating the Russian soldiers a certain way. But honestly, for, for the stuff that that's, that's been committed by the Russians, I, I think that that's, that's not really too bad in comparison. Um, especially when you also factor in, it's not just the Russian military present currently. I'm sure you guys have probably seen in the news, you know, at least a couple times now, something called the Wagner Group. And if anybody knows anything about that, I'm going to butcher the name here. Uh, but there's a dude in Russia, he's an oligarch named Evgeny uh, Prigozhin. And he's he's kind of, he's popped up in the news somewhat in recent times. Definitely not as much as I'd like to see. This guy should be classified as a terrorist. And I, I hope I hope he is by a lot of countries at this point. The U.S. especially should be classifying him as a terrorist. Wagner Group should be classified as a terrorist organization if it's not already. Um, 
But this group is essentially a mercenary group, which, mind you, mercenary organizations are not allowed in Russia. And it was, what, forget how many months ago they were trying to say that two British people and a Moroccan student were mercenaries, were trying to uh, try them for execution, but they were just serving the Ukrainian army. Because the Russians say mercenaries are not allowed, but yet they fund arguably one of the largest mercenary organizations on the planet that has no morals, recruits prisoners, like hardcore prisoners, sends them to the front lines, gives them a gun and says, basically, do whatever you want. And what that turns into is horrific war crimes. You have burnings, rapes, stabbings, all sorts of horrible things where they just don't give a shit. They loot what they can. They kill whoever they want. There's actually a couple instances where they've attacked the Russian army because I guess why not? I mean, what else do you have to do? But I mean, that's that's probably beneficial for us at this point. But uh, <laughs> yes, the, 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 the honestly, the Wagner Group's involvement um, has been super, super, super important uh, to note, especially in this conflict. They 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 kind of they do whatever they want. They get released. They kill basically anybody, and I, I kind of. I kind of equate uh, them to, it's, it's not, not really a, a fair equation, I, I'd say, but I kind of equate them to like the SS of, uh, of World War II and the Germans. They're, they're obviously, they're not, they're not the same and, and, and like ideologically or whatnot, or at least not, not all in whole, but they're equally as horrible. And I think they should be dealt with accordingly. Back then, a lot of SS were just shot on the spot because that's how they, you know, they were horrible people. They didn't deserve to exist. The Wagner group, same thing. They don't deserve to exist. Those people... They commit crimes everywhere. It's not even just in Ukraine either. They're in other places, such as uh, in Africa. Um, but in Ukraine, they follow no rules. They don't. They're they're not. They're not under the command of the Russian army. They're under the command of, uh, I guess, really two dudes. Their leader, as well as Putin, who kind of calls all the shots. And he doesn't care what happens as long as Ukrainians die. A lot of these folks want to see Ukrainians purged off the planet, anyway. So what better way than to send the old Wagner group that follows no rules right into combat? Yeah, and guys, this is a very important point. Tyler, thank you for bringing this up. Russians, how Russians deal with criminals is they incorporate criminals into the state. They have they have mafia problems. They incorporate they hire the mafia to do their bidding. They have issues with uh, terrorists in the Caucasian mountains. They incorporate them into the state. And in fact, some of those terrorists right now are fighting in Ukraine. It's the same thing with this, the Wagner group. They have issues with them, so. They incorporate them into the military and have them do their dirty work, and it's uh, I mean, why a lot of these war crimes are happening. Uh, it's 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 worth noting though that they're not directly part of the military; they are separate. Um, they're just like in auxiliary kind of like hands of Putin. They fall under him. I mean, more or less, Putin does doesn't even want to acknowledge that they exist because mercenary organizations are not legal in Russia, like I said earlier. Um. But they basically just fall under him. Anything he needs done, they do. They're just a bunch of horrific individuals that do whatever they want. Uh, but they're just one example of Russia's flawed ideology in this whole war. The Russians are incredibly stupid in this war. Anybody that has half a brain would <laughs> know you can't just throw flocks and flocks of people at folks and be like, oh, shit, they died. Wow, how did this happen? That's crazy. Like that, that. That's what they've been doing. They've been relying on old Soviet ideologies that are not even applicable in modern applications. But they're saying, fuck it. Cool. And for years and years and years, the U.S. is guilty of doing this. We overestimated the Russians capabilities. We thought that they were this ginormous machine, the same machine that went all the way to Berlin and, you know, fought the Nazis there, fought through the streets, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
but they just they aren't anymore. Their military is in such a shitty spot. They're they're not in any good case. They fail to uh to actually modernize. Their ideologies are still the same. And to give an example, in the U.S. military, for a lot of those that don't know, we have something called a bottom-up organization. So what that means is you have the concept of NCOs, non-commissioned officers that are allowed to make decisions on the ground. This makes it so that it's all very fluid. You don't have to wait for every single detail to come down from a commander. But the Russians are the opposite way. They are a top-down military. Everything has to come from a, a, a commander. And this means that it just turns into a shit fest where nobody knows what they're doing. There's no small unit leadership. And also everybody's corrupt as fuck. There's been numerous cases so far where people have had to pay their commander to get X amount of hours off the front lines. And there's there's been numerous messages leaked on places like Twitter. If you keep an eye out there, not everything is necessarily true. Some of the stuff is fake, but there are some things that have been leaked on there, such as uh, there's a... He, he was a real young individual, forgot his name, though, that uh, he was texting back home to ask for, like, basically, it was like 14,000 Russian rubles in order to buy. It was like 12 hours off the front. That's that's depressing. That's, that's horrific to see. Um, yeah, it really is crazy. You know, and we've seen this play out, too. We, we've, we've, I've read instances of Russian troops having very low morale because they don't want to fight this war. Many do because they've been radicalized, but some don't. There have really? also been instances of, I read last year that there were instances of Russians being told they were going to be conducting training exercises on the Ukrainian border and not told they're actually invading the country. So some of these people didn't even realize they invaded the country. In fact, I think mothers were having some kind of small micro protest because their sons died and they didn't even know that they went to war. Right. So, you know, Tyler, what do you think? I think the only thing Russia is actually good at is propaganda. <laughs> Am um, I wrong? Yeah, I mean, at, at that point, the, <laughs> the the Russian propaganda machine is, is kind of interesting because obviously pretty much almost all of their major outlets are kind of controlled by one dude. Oh, holy shit, that almost kind of sounds like here too. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty much all kind of controlled by a but one dude, uh, obviously Putin, he has his hand on it. And so he controls all the major news outlets. He controls all the, the stuff that comes through. And that turns into huge propaganda. They're saying, oh, look, we're good. Those guys are bad. Um, these guys are doing X and X things, which are not true. And you've seen some pretty hilarious things come out of, uh, out of Russia. I, I, for an example, uh, there, there was an instance where it was, it was their old defense chief. Was it uh, Sergei Shoigu, I believe is how you pronounce his name? Uh <laughs> And and they're they're posting it was like a it was like a press release of this guy talking about Ukrainian losses and all the stuff that we all the NATO equipment we've destroyed and the stuff that he presented didn't even add up to stuff we've given like he's like oh we we destroyed like three thousand HIMARS systems and looking at that I was like oh holy shit that's crazy because I don't even think we have that so how would we give that to them. Or, you know, they're like, oh, we destroyed 20,000 F-16s. Like, those, those are not literal numbers, so please don't quote me on that. Uh, but it's just a, it's a huge hyperbole, you know, example here where the stuff they claim they destroyed was not even remotely close to what the Ukrainians even had versus what we yeah. gave them. It didn't make anything. It, it was just so meme-worthy. And I was like, God damn, how do people believe this? And that's what I mean when I say all they're good at is propaganda. Russians yeah. are very good at promoting an image of themselves as being strong and 
capable and able to easily just defeat Ukrainians and anyone that opposes them. But that's not what's happening. They've barely made any advances in Ukraine. They've been pushed back further east by Ukrainians. And Ukraine Absolutely. supposedly had a much weaker military than Russians at the beginning of this war. And also Russians, they can barely even fight the war themselves. They're having to have criminals and terrorists fight it for them. And, you know, some of us buy this idea that Russia is strong amongst the Slavic community. Serbs, I'm looking at you. If you're Serbian and you're listening to this, like, and you actually think that Russia is some strong country that's going to save you from the West, I'm going to be honest, you're fucking dumb. Because Russia is not going to do anything for you. They're just using you as a puppet in the Balkans to do the bidding. Now, I understand what the Western NATO did was bad and that we could have a whole nother episode on that. But like anybody that any people in any Slavic country or any Eastern country that actually think that Russians are some strong people that are going to save their country from whatever they think is plaguing their country, you're an idiot. I'm just putting that out there. Absolutely. You know, Russia tries to present itself as strong because it's it's a dying man of Europe nowadays. It used to be this ginormous power that that claimed to do whatever it wanted. You know, like it, it could go out, it could conquer anything. It could go out and, and be this huge, huge threat to rival any other power in the region. But that's just not true. Even historically, when Russia has been, you know, massive, they've struggled with so many problems that a lot of other major powers didn't. Russia is just one of those places that struggles with being relevant. And unfortunately, oh, I guess fortunately for us, unfortunately for them, that's catching up to them. They're quickly, so, so quickly becoming so irrelevant to Europe and to the world after this. The amount of sanctions imposed on the amount of hatred in nations that just flat out do not want to do anything with Russia. It, it, it has grown so dramatically. I love to see it. Because for centuries of being a giant dickhead to everybody, it's finally catching up to them. And, and, and like they walked into this thinking, oh, we're going to counter uh, Western influence. We're going we're, you know, we're to scare the West. We're going to show we're a huge power, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, possibly use as a segue to take over other smaller countries as well. Everything that they, they went into this war looking to accomplish has failed. And they've just absolutely done a 180. What they have done is they've united the EU. They've united NATO. They have only up training, up U.S. troops on the Eastern Front. They, they have just served to create a phalanx against them. And on top of that, they've managed to cripple their own economy and their own country because of this. Yeah, and then to touch on the Balkans, too, Russia used to have a little ally in the Balkans, Serbia, mm -hmm. um, in the aftermath of the Yugoslav Wars and genocides and NATO bombings, all of that, Serbia has seen Russia as an ally. Well, even Serbia is turning away from Russia now because they don't see them as a viable partner. Like they've been under Vucic, their current um, leader, they've been trying to straddle this line between Russia and um, the West and wear two hats. Well, he's realizing wearing two hats isn't working anymore and that Russia is not bringing any gains He's just damaging their reputation in the region even further. So, Russia, you're running out of allies. Like, I think all you've got now is Belarus, and that's just because they got a dang dictator that tells them what to believe. I think, technically speaking, China somewhat claims to be their ally. But 
I don't think China's actually going to do anything. China's pretty damn smart. They they really just they work for themselves. And they've seen how the Russians have, you know, performed in this. Everybody's seen how the Russians have performed. It's been poor. And I, I, I that's what's one of the things about this war is that, like I said, Russia is, is, is struggling to be relevant. They are struggling to keep up. That's applied to there. But in the war in general, too, you always keep seeing, oh, we're going to keep throwing more and more and more troops. Like, we're going we're gonna to summon up 300,000 people to throw at the front. Well, that's not relevant anymore because they're just going to keep getting shot and, you know, or dying or whatnot, too. It's it's just they're, they're, they're failing to realize the writing on the wall. They need to pull out. They need to just admit defeat because it's not going to work for them. You can keep throwing people. You, you can keep thinking that's a relevant way to do things, but it's not. It's almost like they're insane. They're doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And that's just not how that's working. They're failing at literally everything they do. Definitely. And I think it's time for them to start pulling back from aggression abroad and pulling back from foreign policy in general and focusing on domestics. Because this country, outside of the large cities in certain regions, is a dump. (laughs) Absolutely. As, as As a personal opinion here, the way I see this whole war going is uh, I don't believe that a Russian victory is necessarily achievable with current measures. Uh, that being said, I, I don't want to be quoted later on if something wild happens, like they drop a tactical nuke. I, I don't foresee that happening either. Um, but the way that, that their current strategy is going, I don't foresee a win. I think that at this point, all they could ever hope for is to take minor gains on the east, the far, far east of Ukraine, but it's almost like a pyrrhic victory at that point. What do you gain versus everything you've lost? Because they've lost everything to only gain what a, a tiny bit of land on the eastern side of Ukraine. That's not even relevant, and you've bombed it all the shit anyways. I, but I, I also could see the, the Ukrainians managing to pull through and pushing them out. That being said, I think the war would have to drag on for much, much longer for that to happen. There's no easy way to end this war. Everybody's been asking the question, when will this war end? I don't know about you, Austin. I don't think that it's going to end anytime soon. I don't think that that's even possible. Just the the sheer tenacity, the, the uh, unwillingness to see any writing on the wall to stop is just not occurring to the Russian government at this point. Yeah, there's some stubborn people. I, I don't think this war will end unless there is a regime change in Russia. Right, right. That's, that's also that's, that's, that's worth uh, pointing out. And this war may be a catalyst for regime change because it's looking more and more like Russia's invasion of Afghanistan, or excuse me, the Soviet Union's invasion of Afghanistan, which shortly after this, the Soviet Union collapsed. It's also reminded me of their activities uh, with Japan, um, in which I believe they lost. And shortly after that, the Russian Empire collapsed. So maybe yeah. this will be the collapse of Putin's regime and Finally, we can see some kind of democracy take root in Russia. Um, and developing this country will be a challenge because it's so diverse and there are so many different nations within it. So maybe we can finally see cooperation between Russia and the West after this damn regime finally ends. And also, that would bring up other problems too. Oh, oh yeah. When this regime ends, there'll be all kinds of problems. I think it's it's I, th- I think what, what what you're saying though is is actually 
it's really interesting on its own. I, I think it is possible for the Russian regime to end, but there, there'd be so much to happen. Like, like you said, we could maybe see some cooperation with the West, but what you'd also potentially see maybe China or other big players out there on the East attempting to gain sway on the Eastern side of Russia. And then maybe you'll see partitions or whatnot of Russia, or, you know, smaller uh, regions breaking off. And uh, it, that, 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 that's, that's just a way I see it from my, my, my limited scope. I, I could be totally out there in left field. It's something I see too, because, you know, the European part of Russia, they are Europeans. Like our interest, they've always been part of Western civilization or a variant of Western civilization on the Eastern side, whether they like it or not. I mean, some of them argue this idea of Eurasianism where they're like a, some kind of special Eurasian nation, that's bullshit. European Russians have always been a European nation. Now, these nations in Siberia, these tribes and nations that were conquered by Russians in the past and are still under Russian rule now, I don't know what they are. Like The case could be made, perhaps they're Asian. To be honest, that part of the world has always been so isolated, I don't even know, I can't even conceptualize how that would look but some of these nations could be autonomous in, in Siberia. And then I would like to mention as well, closer to, to Europe, that in the Caucasus, the Chechens, the only thing keeping them in Russia is Putin. Yeah, like, yeah. His friendship with their crazy leader is what keeps them in Russia. Two crazy men bond. Because that guy is a former terrorist, and those people, not all of them, but a lot of them have become radical Muslims. So that's going to be a mess. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, it's definitely worth it that you brought up uh, Chechnya. Chechnya has, has been another nation that, like you said, has struggled. Uh, they, they, they fought Russia in the past. They tried to break away. They got stuck under Russia again. And then uh, their current leader, who is an absolute maniac. I'm talking this guy. He, he's he's worth being a Game of Thrones antagonist. He's that horrible. Uh, that's, that's, that's honestly, it's, it's probably the easiest way to put it. Putin's a horrible dude, but sometimes I honestly hate, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but I honestly don't give a shit because fuck that guy. Uh, was it Ramzan Kadyrov? Kadyrov, um, yeah. Kadyrov. Yeah, so horrible dude. For any of you guys that want to know anything more about him, uh, you can message us. You can look it up yourselves. I can go on for days talking about this individual and how fucked up he is. He is just yeah. one of the worst individuals on the planet that does not deserve to uh, to breathe the same air as everybody else. He only exists to cause pain, and he's not even a good representation of Chechnya. A lot of folks don't want to be part of Russia and Chechnya. A lot of them want to break away. It's just he is the biggest puppet that's basically given more or less free reign to do whatever he wants in Chechnya as long as he bends the knee to Putin when it's required. Exactly. And it's kind of funny because the Russians in the 90s and early 2000s realized that they couldn't defeat the Chechen terrorists, so they befriended them. And now we've got a situation where there's a radical, or I don't know if I can say radical, that's a sensitive word, but there is an Islamist, a very conservative Islamist republic within the Russian Federation, where women are oppressed, and it's because Russia just flat out couldn't defeat them. So now they just allow them to be as long as they don't leave the country. Pretty much. It's just, you know, 
provide us with manpower in case we need it and allow us to tap into your resources, you know, whenever we want. And basically, you know, we'll basically have a eco chamber, a, a smaller eco chamber, just, you know, where you guys can do your thing, but we're going to put an extra crazy dictator ahead of you. It's, it's not a good situation. That's not just exclusive to Chechnya. That's just one of the biggest ones I can name. There's a lot of places in Russia where people are just oppressed horribly. And those people are being subjected. A lot of times those guys are being drafted in these ruralized regions of Russia. Also in Chechnya, they tried it, um, where they just draft people and they send them to the front in Ukraine. And you're seeing a lot of problems now where it's like, you know, like imagine, imagine you are some random person in, in a country on the far opposite side of the country, super rural place. You have no interaction with, with your capital. You have no interaction with anything. You're, you're just existing. The government, you know it exists, but they have done no, not, no interaction with you. you. You're just minding your own business. And one day they knock on your door and say, hey, bro, you're going to some place that is, so is, you've never been there. That's for damn sure. You might not even be able to place it on a map, but you just heard the name. But guess what? Here's a rifle, two weeks of training. Guess what? You're going to go die. And that's what Russia's been doing. It's horrible. Definitely. Well, after this podcast, I hope that we've convinced you that Russia is much weaker than it seems to be. I mean, this nation is having criminals fight their war for them because the people don't have the morale to do it. The dictator Putin reigns only off of disinformation and swaying people to believe his nation is stronger than it is. And quite frankly, in several parts of the country, the state has absolutely failed. So this nation is weak. Now, that isn't to say that we in the West should hate Russians, because Russians are good people, too. And as a Czech, I do feel that I do feel a sense of brotherhood to ethnic Russians. I don't support their leader. The leader's a head ass. The nation is falling apart. But the people, I do see similarities with them. But this nation, it's only a matter of time before it collapses. That's going to be a whole different beast in and itself. We could honestly cover a uh, podcast on that later on if anybody's interested in our thoughts on how that would go. We've only touched a little bit on everything for this whole podcast. It's just one of those things we can't drag it on for you know all too long because we'd be sitting here for hours and hours and hours. You guys wouldn't stick around for that long. So for future, you might see more of these subtopics pop up, but we're going to expand on them more. Just let us know. T- uh, message us on our social media or if you want to attend some of our lives. We typically do them after, we, uh, after we're done doing our podcast every Tuesday. Uh, you can chime in there. Feel free to leave your thoughts below. We, we love interacting with you guys. But Austin, unless you have anything else, um, I'd say we can wrap this up and we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. That's all I got. See you all next week. Be sure to check us out on Instagram and TikTok. We have both of those active right now. We're in the process of setting up our Facebook. Um, And yeah, also Twitter too. Yeah, check us out on Twitter as well. We're in the process of putting together all of our social media. So uh, that's how y'all can stay in touch with us. And please let us know what y'all thought about this episode. Um, We really do value your feedback and your thoughts because it drives the conversation. Good stuff, guys. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, guys, and uh, dovidenia. Ciao, Ludi. Dovidenia.